You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. All right. So uh, let's try and focus and get down to the word. Amen. I'm still kind of a little bit out there, but praise God. Uh, we want to continue on. Of course, for those uh, who are part of our Freedom in Christ, I don't know, what has it been, about a month now or something like that. Usually one of the things that we do uh, post-Freedom in Christ in which we minister to people and get people free and uh, get people healed up and restored in various areas. Sometimes they're unaware of the areas in which the enemy has had access in their life to bring destruction and things like that. But as they're illuminated in these areas and the power of God comes and the presence of God and the purpose of God is revealed in your life, people are set free. But we want to bring teaching, how can you cooperate so that the enemy doesn't come back and kind of bring you back under an old system of the way you used to think and operate and, and have your activities. And so this is the third one for myself. And of course, if you remember, my fabulous wife also did a fantastic job talking about strongholds. Amen. So that's our area of expertise. And so uh, we want to continue on with that with a little bit of a recap. First of all, we know that we make Jesus Lord of every area. Amen. And so when we talk about Jesus being Lord, we're not talking about an easy believism of we just simply, well, I believed and I made a confession of him, but then you end up living your own life. How many know Jesus is your savior, but also he's to be your Lord? Uh, that means he is the one who makes the, the decisions within your life. We talk extensively about that. Even Jesus himself had to surrender his life. Amen. Uh, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is, I mean, think about this. This is Jesus incarnate. There's no sin nature in it like there is with us. And he's the one at the end of his life, his earthly life, no sin whatsoever. He's the one who said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And if Jesus himself, God incarnate, much better than you and I, had to surrender his will, how much more do you think us grappling in this world, grappling with the sin nature, grappling with devils, grappling with all kinds of issues within our world culture that want to sit there to bind us up, how much more do you think we need to surrender our wills and our desires and our ambitions to his purpose? I think a whole lot. Amen. And so that's of vital importance in you living free is that you make Jesus Lord. Notice it says every area. You know, sometimes we're used to Jesus coming in one area and cleaning up areas, but we don't surrender in other areas of the life. And what may be an issue for you may not be an issue for me. And what may be an issue for me may not be an issue for you. Each of us have sometimes dirty rooms. You know, living rooms can be filthy, but your, your bedroom is clean. Some people, their bedroom's a mess, but the front rooms uh, looks great. And so you have to, by uh, being in relationship with the Lord, allow him to have access to all the rooms. And when he says, I'd like to go in there, always say, yeah, I'm really embarrassed, but I'm going to let you in. Yeah. Amen. Don't allow embarrassment and fear and shame. Do not uh, cause that to dissuade you from allowing the Lord to come in. The Lord's not going to shame you. He's going to clean you up. Amen. Amen. He's not like human beings like you and I who sit there and shame people and put people down and things like that. He's a, he's a good Jesus. Amen. And he, he, he wants to come in. He wants to clean up those areas. So actually, you don't live in shame. Come on. Are you here? And so that's what the purpose of discipleship is. Discipleship isn't to smash you. It's to smash sin from your life. But know that your identification is not with that sin and with all those issues that you had in the past. You're a new creature in Christ. So it's not to come to smash the new creature. It's to smash the old creature. Come on, are you here? And that old identity so that you can live in the abundant life that God has for you. Because indeed he does. Amen. Every single one of you. 
Every single one of you, he's got a specific purpose. You are created in his image. And so be encouraged in that. God loves you. This church loves you. I love you as your pastor, and we want the best for you. Amen. Amen. So make Jesus Lord of every area of your life. Number two, put on the garment of praise. Uh, I love it, of course, when the Holy Ghost comes real strong. And some of us, you just get enraptured by it. You don't have to sit there and put it on yourself. It's just like the Holy Ghost says, here, y'all going to get it whether you like it or not. And I love those times in which we're all dancing. You can't help. And you know that you can't help because uh, when you don't do it, you're like the oddball. Come on. How many know in pure pressure, that's a good thing? Pure pressure, everybody's jumping. And if you sit there like a stick in the mud, you're going to be like, I feel like a loser right now. And it's easy to dance before the Lord when everybody's doing it and getting jiggy with it in the house of God. Amen. But listen, when not everybody's feeling jiggy with it and you're going through rough times and your personal devotions with that, that's the time in which it's like you're not feeling jiggy with it. It's like, I got to put this coat on. I got to put this garment on. I'm going to praise the Lord. And even as Smith Wigglesworth said, when they asked him, I believe he was in his 80s, it says, how do you keep so young? And he was, a, he was called the apostle of faith in which 23 or 24 people were actually raised from the dead in his ministry. And half of them are actually documented, scientifically verified that they were dead people. And when they asked him that, he said, I do high speed dancing before the Lord every single morning. And so how many know he had to have gone through rough times like you and I, but notice he still, he just high praise. What was he doing? He was putting his garment on. So it's easy to get the garment on when it's being thrown on you, whether you like it or not in a praise service, but it becomes a whole nother thing. And when you hit your rough times, do you make a decision to put that garment on? Or do you sit there and allow that old cloak to come upon you? What the Bible calls a spirit of heaviness. And so you got to be able to, listen, you can't be naked. You're always going to be clothed with something. Always remember that. Amen. And so if you don't receive and you don't put on intent, Potentially, that garment of praise, you will automatically receive the garment that comes from the world. You will automatically receive that garment of heaviness. There's, there's no in-between. Come on, you're neither hot nor cold. They're sheep and goats. You're children of the enemy, children of a God. There's always this type of a thing, and so it is. You're always going to be wearing a garment. So choose not to wear the garment of heaviness. Choose to put it on. That means there are going to be times in which you feel heavy, but, you know, the garment of praise says, put me on you, and I'll change your inside so that you're not feeling heavy. Amen? And it's amazing because once you come out of here, you're like, why didn't I do that a little bit earlier? Right? <laughs> And all of a sudden, you'll be feeling like you're having church at Freedom House there in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning in your private time while you're going through rough times. Amen. And so listen, we want you to do that. And third, put on the full armor of God. Amen. There's no, uh, uh, and then uh, number four, live by God's word, which means his what? His logos, as well as number two, come up, as well as the rhema. Okay, so don't be in the extremes, as we said, you know, extreme word says it's rhema, rhema, rhema. God speaks his word. And sometimes uh, when you hear, well, God spoke to me and said this, you're like, I don't know if that was God. That sounds a little bit not in accordance with his written word. And so we distinguish between the logos, which is what his written word, and then his rhema, which is what his spoken word. And of course, we said, beware of the extremes of what I call extreme word faith, as well as extreme kind of cessationism that you'll see in your extreme evangelical churches where they say, all we need is the Bible. God doesn't speak by his spirit. No, we just, we got the close canon of scripture and this is all that we need. And, you know, the, the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit that ended with the apostles as if the apostles had a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, like you can't have the Holy Spirit. And when I die, he's going to die with it. And so all the things he did for us, nah, 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 you're not going to be able to have it. 
Well, that's nonsense. I actually believe that's a heresy. And what it does is it's impeded, and this is the reason why uh, people that hold to that doctrine, churches that hold to that doctrine, you can tell there's no life-giving atmosphere within churches that deny the power of the Holy Spirit, in which, of, of course, with that is his power, his presence, as well as his purpose being expressed amongst the people. Amen. So we live by both of those things. And of course, uh, we see both of them uh, found in the book of Luke. Both of them found in the book of Luke. It says, for no word, which is rhema from God will ever fail. No, it's ever because it's a double negative. Someone corrected me on that. It says, for no word, see, will ever fail. So in Luke chapter 21, verse 33, it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, my lagos, will never pass away. So notice we need both. What? His rhema. Why? Because it will never fail. As well as in verse 33, his lagos, it will also never pass away. So his rhema will never fail, as well as his lagos will never pass away. So we need both within the house of God. Amen? So he speaks through his word. Absolutely, his written word. But he will also speak by the power of the Holy Spirit. And where does he dwell? He dwells on the inside of you. Amen. He's not up in heaven. He's inside of you. And he likes to speak more than you like to listen. All right. In John chapter 8, verse 31, it says this to the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, what is that word? Lagos. You are really my disciples. So see the importance of the logos within your word. This is why you have to cleave to the written word. For you young people, read your Bible. Okay, and as I said in first service, one of the things that I realize is, you know, sometimes in ministry, I don't get the time that I want to actually be reading the Bible. So I thought, I know I have a solution. I'll be listening like on audio Bible and things like that. But then I bumped into a problem that I realized is that when I started listening to the Bible, all of a sudden, the audio guy in my ear, he'd be listening and he would say something, a passage of scripture in a verse, and I'd be listening and meditating upon that. And then I'd realize I'm not hearing anything else he's saying because I'm thinking about one particular verse that happened. And so he'd be in the next chapter, and I don't even know what he's saying because I was still stuck on the one thing. And so I realized sometimes in my listening to the audio, I was always in a, you know, over here listening, going, ooh, and thinking about other scriptures. This is why it's not sufficient. I, this is my personal opinion, of course, and let me just kind of help you. This is why you need to study the Bible so that when you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden, boom, the Holy Spirit brings something to light. You want to dig on and not have someone lead you down something because the Holy Spirit actually might be speaking to you in that particular verse, and you may need to do further digging in that particular area. So I'm not saying don't listen to the Bible. I'm saying in addition to that, you must have good, solid Bible study because that's where you are digging, if you will, the wells. This is where the word of God is getting on the inside. This is where it's being hidden in your heart that you may not sin against him. Amen. So for your young people, don't just listen to the Bible. Read the Bible. Come on. Are you here? You say, well, I don't like to read. I never liked to used to read either. I was a person who was a DF and all of us, when I became saved, uh, even my education, I got A's and B's all throughout. And it actually was easy for me uh, when I went through Bible college. And when when was it? Because I was always reading. Those first years when I was first saved, I was reading the Bible two, three, and even four times a year. And that's in addition to commentaries, various commentaries that I would go through it. So I already was quite astute with the Bible before I actually even went into Bible college. 
Many people don't know that I actually went to Bethany Bible uh, for a time, and there was a time that when I, you, before you go in there, you actually kind of go through a test to find out what your biblical literacy rate was. And I was actually higher than those who are actually graduating with degrees before I even entered into it. Why? Because I studied the Bible year after year, many times through, and I had people uh, who were discipling me that had masters in theology, etc., and I was going through the Bible because I loved the Bible and I devoured the Bible. So you young people, those of you that are joining me online, be reading the Bible. Again, don't just listen to it. Read it. Why? Because when you read the Bible, you're given an opportunity for the Bible to read you. Amen. It's possible to read the Bible, but the Bible not read you. Come on, are you here? And sometimes what happens is we reverse engineer the Bible to our lifestyle. Amen. And we're not called to, to re-engineer uh, the Bible to our lifestyles and our opinions and our desires and our wants. We are to allow it to change us, to bring a transformation to our life. So again, don't just read the Bible. Let the Bible read you and everyone says. It says this in chapter 8, verse 37. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my what? Lagos. Okay, see the importance of it? Verse 43 says this. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. That word, what I hear in the original is lagos. You are unable to hear Jesus' lagos. And he's talking to the religious people. So the religious people who incidentally studied the Bible memorize the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. In fact, he says, you diligently study it and you think by diligently study it because it actually reveals me. So it's possible, again, to read the Bible but not allow the Bible to read you. And so it's not sufficient for you to read the Bible. It's how you posture yourself to receive from the Bible. You got that? Now watch this in verse 51. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my lagos will never see death. And everyone says. So John is the one who esteems the value of the Lagos of the word of God. In fact, it's literally in the very first chapter, in the very first sentence, in John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the Lagos. And the Lagos was with God. And the Lagos was God. Okay, and I like what one preacher says, and I totally agree. I can see reflected your love of Jesus by how much you love his word. Some people are like, I love Jesus, but I just don't like reading the Bible. What does it say right here? And the word was God. I love God, but I don't like reading the Bible. That's a contradiction. Do you see that? It doesn't take a rocket science to figure this one out. You only love God as much as you love his word because his word is God. Are you here? In verse 14 of the same chapter, it says, The Lagos became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Again, Jesus is the word. I love Jesus, but I don't like his word. It's boring. It's this. We'll get through all those things. Start exercising that muscle. No one likes to sit there and start, you know, you feel sore afterwards. You're like, man, I can't believe I'm starting to work out now. But listen, there'll be a time in which you'll actually like it. You'll be when I used to do running, when you start running, you don't like running, but all of a sudden you can almost get an addiction to it to where those who are runners, you get what's called a runner's high and you just stay in there and you don't want to come out of it. Well, if you can believe this, the word is like that too. 
to where you're just insatiable for the word and where before it was like, oh my gosh, I got to run. I can't believe it. My knees are feeling and all this and I'm sore and my quads and my hands and I can't bend over. There'll be a time if you can, are consistent with it, you all of a sudden hit that runner's high and you'll feel great and you'll look forward with anticipation to get now because it's a time of isolation in which you can go and, and meditate and think on other things and get in that runner's high. There is a place. And so likewise in the natural it is, so likewise it is in the spirit that there's a place in which you devour, in which you're in communion, that as you're uh, listening and you're reading and allowing it to read you his written word, he will begin to speak to you. Amen? So so you young people, I want God to talk to me, okay? I'm going to show you how right now. Open up to Genesis chapter 1. Now read. God's talking to you. God's talking to you. Now, why is this important? Because some people, they really don't want God to talk to them. They just want, they just want a supernatural experience. Yeah, some of you didn't get it. What you're wanting is you want the, <gasps> the dramatic. What you're wanting is just a supernatural experience. And listen, God will give you a supernatural experience, but it's possible that if you're looking for a supernatural experience, you're actually not looking for God. You're just looking for an experience. And listen, the devil will give you an experience. You should be looking for God. And if he gives you that experience, great. But you're not looking for the experience. Otherwise, the experience becomes your God rather than God. So be a seeker of God. Experiences will come. Whether they don't come or they do come, you are a seeker of God. Okay? So don't get caught up in the fanfare. I had this experience. An angel showed up and went, oh. Whoopie-doo. I read the Bible today. See, we got to have a value for the written word of God instead of this experience, especially in our culture that is so based on emotionalism. Amen? So that we're anchored in the word of God. So that we have a compass, a spiritual compass of due north. That everything is regulated by what we believe because we've hidden his word in our heart. And everyone says... All right, let's continue. Did I uh, say verse 51? Yes, I did. All right, let's move on. In John chapter 17, verse 14, I have given them your lagos, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. John 17, 17. Listen, it's not just the rhema, but it's also the lagos that does what sanctifies you. This is the reason why we need to get in his word. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is is truth. I know many of you know this, and I've said it before many a times, that when Jesus, speaking of the truth, he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's probably one of the scriptures that is the most quoted, in which you probably heard it yourself. The truth will set you free. That's not what the scripture says. The Bible does not say the truth will set you free. It says, you shall know the truth, and then the truth shall set you free. Not the truth will set you free. You have to first know the truth. And that word to know in the original language is a knowledge and an intimacy like a husband knows his wife. So when you come into a close relationship with the truth, with this actually Jesus, the fruit that is produced with your relationship with Jesus, that truth that you know in an intimate way as a communion, as a husband knows a wife, that truth that you know in that capacity will actually, just like a husband and wife produce fruit called children, it will produce you're actually liberated. You see that? Sanctify them by the truth. You're cleansed by that truth that comes to you. Your word is truth. Get into the word. And everyone says.
All right, I belabor that point enough. Psalms chapter 119 says this. How can a young man stay on a path of purity? By, notice this, not reading or listening to the word, but living according to your word. Again, you are not retrofitting the word to fit your personal, weird, perverted lifestyle or impure lifestyles. What you are doing is you are being transformed into the word rather than you transforming the word. Uh, some of you will get that by next week. It says, by living according to your word, not according to the way you think according to your opinions. Listen, your opinions and your ways landed you in the mess you're in. Why don't you give Jesus a chance? Verse 10, I seek you, watch this, with only part of my heart because I like this thing, that my little secret sin and all these things. No, it says, I seek you with all. Say all. All, all means all. Amen? Real deep. It says, uh, uh, I, I, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Okay? Now listen. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may uh, not sin against you. So I think I can say this without breaking the context of Scripture. Grant me liberty of this, that you will actually sin against the Lord if you don't hide his word in your heart. Right? I have hidden your word, lagos. This is actually the Hebrew, so it doesn't say, it's not literally, it's a Hebrew word. But I have hidden your word in my, what? Heart, that I may not sin against you. So we see a consequence of hiding the word in the heart is that you won't sin against him. So in other words, when you get yourself in a pickle, right? And all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm in this strange environment and I know I probably shouldn't be here and I shouldn't be with these people and doing certain things that they're doing in which I know all of a sudden the Holy Ghost inside of you goes, ah, he becomes a smoke alarm on the inside of you. And all of a sudden you're like, I got to get out of here. Why do you got to, I just got to go. Why is that? Because you hid his word in your heart. So the Holy Spirit grabs that word and he begins to jolt you and he begins to jar your conscience to get you out of sticky situations. And the reason why some people are like, well, I'll just go right along with it is because they never hid the word of God in their heart. So it's easy for them to go right back into that thing. So the Holy Spirit wants to come and bring through his word that conviction so that when you enter, this is why some people are like, well, the devil made me do it. No, no. The absence of the word made you do it. I have hidden your word that I may not sin against you. You got yourself in that situation because you never hid the word inside of you. You don't know what the scripture has to say about that. So that when you got yourself in this situation that anybody who had the word, they would not have came in within 10 feet of that place. But yet you did. Why? Because you never hid your word in your heart. So we got to see the value of not just you reading the Bible, but the Bible reading you, and everyone says. All right. So it's not just, again, about the spoken word uh, uh, that brings sanctification, but it is the logos. So read the written word. Now here's the rhema. See at the top, live by God's word. This is the rhema. Luke chapter 3, 2, during the high priest, uh, Anna, uh, Caiaphas, the word, the rhema of uh, God came to John of Zacchaeus in the wilderness. In Luke chapter 5, verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, that word say so is rhema, I will let down the nets. What is the context? You remember when they're toiling all night as fishermen, they haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, why don't you go over there? Drop the nets over there. And they're like, oh, Gosh, the carpenter's telling us to do something. He doesn't know fish. Why is he making us work more? Doesn't he know? We've already, we're overtime already. 
He's like, yet at your rhema, at your spoken word, we'll do it. And what ended up happening? The supernatural was released because they accepted the rhema. You must have the lagos and you must have the rhema. Don't get the extremes of both. Extreme word faith nor extreme reform theology with cessationism is the backbone of that whole uh, heresy and things like that and extreme evangelicalism. Okay? All right, let's move on. I think I labored that point enough. It says in John chapter 6, verse 63, the spirit, the pneuma, this is the Holy Spirit, gives life. The original is Zoe. It says it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words, the rhema, I have spoken to you. They are full of what? Pneuma and what? Life, Zoe. For example, we just did ministry time right here. You got the privilege of being part of that. We didn't do that in the first service. I just felt by the Holy Ghost. So when I said break, what was that? That was the release of spirit and life. Okay, that was the release of the anointing, what we call also the anointing of God. What was that? Rhema. That's, it was spirit-empowered. It was life-giving that was being spoken over you. And you were able to receive what the Spirit of God wanted you. And you are in a position to be able to receive that. Amen. Following, we see here in John chapter 6, again, verse 68, just what, five verses later. Simon answered him and said, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the what? Words, the rhema of life. What's the context of this scripture? Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. If you don't, you have no life inside of you. The Bible says, at this many of his disciples. It didn't say many of those who are attending his church. It says his disciples. That means they reckoned him as a rabbi to be able to speak into his life. They said, man, this is too hard. We're out of here. And he ends up leaving. The 12 are right there and said, do you want to leave too? And of course, Peter pipes up and says, no, you have the words of what? Eternal life. You have the what? The rhema, that which is life-giving. And there's nowhere else. They proceed to go on. Where else do we have to go? There's nowhere else to go. And this is where backsliddenness comes in. When people have a place to go back to of comfort in their old life, they'll end up going back to that. But with the fishermen, they dropped everything that they had anyways. They had no place to go. This is why usually God, unfortunately, only minutes, let me say it this way. Oftentimes, it's those who are not wise, according to what uh, Paul says in Corinthians. Not many of you are wise. Not many of you are noble. Not many of you are, if you will, notable within society. But God chose the foolish things of the world in order to confound the wise. Why? Because they don't got anything anyways. They got nothing to go back to. They're like, we don't got anything. We gave our boats away and everything. Like, where are we going to go? But if you got a cushy job, if you're, you know, you got affluence, right? Just like the religious people, they're all in, in positions of elitism. So they had something to go back to. This is why you guys are privileged, right? Some of you, you haven't come. But for those of you who do have means, and yet you still even decide to follow after Christ, powerful you are you in the earth. And everyone says, all right, let's move on. The facts is what? The word of God. The fact is the word of God. Faith is what? Believing the facts. Now, here's where feelings get in there. Feelings must fall into line with the facts. Okay? Never reverse that order. It's not about your feelings. And we're living in a culture that really kind of lifts up and idolizes feeling. I feel this and I feel that. And I, I don't care how you feel. I only care what you believe. Tell me what you believe. Don't tell me what you feel. I like it. It was Pastor Shelley who used to say this, and it was, it was really good, uh, that y- the, your soul, okay, is your information center, but the spirit is your command center. 
And what happens is out of your soul, you can have many feelings. Come on, are you here? How many know, for example, when the, the disciples were on the boat, right? And all of a sudden, they see the storms. This is external that was coming towards them. And all of a sudden, what was external got on the inside of them. They, ah, oh, my God, we're going to drown because of the storms, right? What was in the outside got inside of them. Jesus, the Bible very clear, was in the boat, and he was asleep. So while fishermen, who should be used to the storms, has a carpenter who's not concerned about it. Think about that for a moment. And he doesn't wake up because of the storms. The only reason he wakes up is because of the storms that were inside the disciples. The, this, the storms external did not wake him up. It was the storms that were internal in his disciples. And so when he stands up, he's still not concerned about it. In fact, quite contrary, begins to disciple them and uses this as a moment to challenge them. And he begins to say, peace, be still. And he rebukes the winds and he rebukes the waves. And what does he do? Listen very carefully. He changes the externals according to what's internal. You can only release what you have. So if you're chaotic on the inside, that's the only thing you can release within your world. And some Christians, they don't live according to the peace of Christ, which must rule their heart. They're ruled by externals. And if you are ruled by externals, you will always, always be leading and be in a state of emotional chaos and turmoil, ups, ups, ups and downs. Again, I never ask Robert how I feel. I tell Robert, what do you believe? What is it I believe? Feelings follow the facts. Everything must come into alignment to what I believe, and everyone says. When it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, in John chapter 16, verse 12 through 15, I have much to say to you, this is Jesus speaking, more than you can now bear, which means that Jesus has things that he wants to say to you, but because of your maturity level, he can't speak it to you. Think about that for a moment. It's not that he doesn't want to say to you. He knows that he can only say certain things that you have the ability to take. And so the Holy Spirit knows each and every one of us, knows our maturity level. This is why even as a pastor, I got to learn that I can say certain things to certain people, but I know to others because of their maturity level, I can't say certain things. Jesus is saying the same thing. I have many things I'd like to say, but you can't bear it right now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Watch this. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you of what is yet to come. So when you love Jesus, you will love the Holy Spirit. The more Christ-centered you are, the more Holy Spirit-centered you will be. Verse 14 says, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. This is why you want to be aware of people that are like, you know, I love Jesus, and, but I don't know about that Holy Spirit stuff. Well, that stuff is called a person, and you just disrespected them by calling him stuff. Come on. If you love Jesus and you actually, he just said he will take what is mine. So if you say you love Jesus, but you hate the Holy Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit isn't going to tell you what, who you say you love. He isn't going to give you what is his. Right? It's like coming up to me and say, Pastor Robert, I absolutely love you, but I really can't stand your wife. Right? 
And I just used a human of the earth covenant. How much more within the Trinity when we show our personal prejudice against the third person of the Trinity, yet we say that we love Jesus. I just don't know about this third person. It's the same equivalent and or worse of saying, I love you, Pastor Robert, but I can't stand your wife. If you tell me that, I'm going to be like, brother, this is the last meeting we're having. Right? Right? Agree? If I, any husband in here is like, no, we're just going to continue on meeting with you, and this is a brother in the Lord. I may be like, if you say, I love you, but I can't stand your wife, that's the last meeting we're going to have. All right, let's move on. It says this, he'll glorify me. In verse 15, it says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So I want to know more about Jesus. There are things he wants to get to me, so I got to get to know the third person of the Trinity in order to get what Jesus has to him that comes to me. So I can't sit there and say, I don't like your wife. Come on, are you here? That's why I said the Spirit will see from me and make it known to you. And it continues on in verse 17. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Why? Because they have to have everything empirically proven through the five natural senses. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The invisible person, third person of the Trinity, lives on the inside of you. And so you must cultivate a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. This is why we are a people of the Spirit. Verse 25 to verse 26 says this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. How many want to be reminded of what Jesus says? Cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We see this even in the church age. You say, well, this is Jesus. But Jesus was talking about the day of Pentecost that would come by, which we get empowered by the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 29, it says this, the Spirit, say the Spirit, Spirit. told Philip to go to the chariot and stay near. Notice that it, the Bible does not say in Acts chapter 8 that it was the closed canon of Scripture and the Lagos that told him to go to the chariot. Come on, are you here? But that's how some type of people on the extreme over here is like, God only speaks through the closed canon of Scripture. They didn't even have the closed canon of Scripture here in Acts chapter 8. And he wrote, and listen, Paul, probably at this time, is he saved yet? I'm not even sure if he's saved right now. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. So the guy who actually authored it, the Holy Spirit, is speaking after the church age, even before he's actually born again. So what's the point? He speaks through this closed canon of Scripture, the written word, but he also speaks by his Holy Spirit, as I just showed you here in Acts chapter 8. So again, don't get into the extremes, weird cessationist heresy. Acts chapter 10, two chapters later, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the closed canon of Scripture said to him, no, that's not what it says. Some of you are like, really? It says, no, 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 it doesn't say that. Let me, not, not, let me for real. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit, say the Spirit, Spirit. said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So he got special intel from who? From the Holy Spirit. Again, not from the closed canon of Scripture. It's both. It's both Lagos and Rhema. He said, well, that's only two. Let everything be established by the witness of three. And I'm glad you asked that because there's even a third one. 
Acts chapter 13, verse 2. And it's specifically in the church. He's actually speaking to the church, just not an individual. And it says this, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, it does not say the closed canon of Scripture said. It says the Holy Spirit said. So it means that while they were worshiping, there was an atmosphere by which the Holy Spirit was given a platform to be able to speak to the people. And because of their fasted lifestyle and their commitment of unpacking all the distractions, the Holy Spirit was at liberty to speak to the church. So it didn't just come through the closed canon of Scripture or the liturgical work and all this stuff. No, the Holy Spirit began to speak. And notice, it began to separate unto a calling. So that's the now spoken word, okay? And this is the difference between those that are life-giving churches versus those that are the liturgical churches or just kind of good-natured people. But listen, there's nothing wrong with being good and loving and all these things, but we need the life and the operation of the third person of the Trinity at work amongst us in the house of God. And everyone says, okay? Uh, and oftentimes for those who come from this kind of extreme cessationism and that type of a mentality, I always recommend, uh, there's a guy named Jack Deere. He's an author. He was actually a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary where you had a uh, cemetery <laughs> uh, in which uh, this type of a cessationist mentality, that's what he came from. And so he really knows how to break this down. He wrote a book called Surprised by the Spirit. And so for those that come from the kind of this cult-like type of a thing in which, you know, the Holy Spirit, none of these happen because the apostles kind of had a monopoly on the Holy Spirit or some nonsense like that. Listen, it is not substantiated by the Bible, okay? In fact, in the very first sermon of the church, Peter sits there and literally torpedoes that nonsense of a heresy. This is what he said, that which you now see and hear, this gift of the Holy Spirit that has been poured out is for you. That's first generation. And for your children. Okay? So the idea or the notion that actually the work of the Holy Spirit died with the apostle is literally in the very first sermon of the church completely eradicated and torpedoed. He says it's for you and for your children. That's the second generation. It hasn't ceased. As well as your children's children third and fourth generation, and all those who are called who are far off. So that means all the way until the day that Jesus comes back, what you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, absolutely in no uncertain terms, is today according to the very first sermon of the church age. Okay? So don't believe in that nonsense, that heresy. And if, if some people, they get mad. Well, you shouldn't call it a heresy. That's just their belief. It's a heresy. It has to be called that, okay? That's the reason why miracles aren't done, because you don't believe it, because you have that type of a warped mentality in your theology. You don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's your dead logos. It's not even working alive in you. You know, Jesus even dealt with that. He says, you diligently study the scripture. Who's he talking to? The religious people who actually memorize large portions of the Old Testament. He says, you think by it, you have life, but it actually speaks of me, but you refuse to come to me. So they're excellent at reading the scripture, but they never allowed the scripture to read them. Mm, okay, let's move on. I, I, I did enough. All right. Submit to God and resist Satan. Notice the order. Do not reverse it. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Again, this is living free. Submit yourself then to God. Then you resist the devil. 
Now you say, Pastor, why do you say this? Because I've had many people, oh, I'm just fighting the devil. And it's like, you know, two years later, I'm still fighting the devil. I'm like, you've been fighting the devil for two years. Okay, where do you get this idea that it's such a struggle? Oh, I can't believe all these things that are going. No, listen, maybe the problem is with your submission to God. The issue is in authority. He says, I've given you authority. So again, what is your belief system? I already know he's given me authority. And yes, there may be a time in which there's a grappling or a struggling, especially going into a new season. And even Jesus himself on three times had to, but it didn't go on for the next six years. Come on, are you here? There's a time and there's a season in which there might be grappling and there may be struggling and there may be that type of thing, but it's not ongoing. And so if you're always perpetually, listen, the question is, is, is there an open door by which the enemy has a right to sit there and bring a harassment to your life because you have an unsurrendered area of your life? Is there a submission area? It says, submit yourself then to God. Then, notice the divine equation that's here. You, you cannot reverse the order. In fact, I have it written, resistance is futile. When you don't submit to God. So you must base your resistance of the uh, enemy based upon your submission to God's will. Are you here? So submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and notice this, he'll flee from you. Not he'll torment you for the next six years. You're hearing a lot of behind closed doors counseling that I do to people every once in a while. It says in verse 8, come near to God. Notice it is incumbent upon you. It is your personal responsibility to first go and seek after him. So you do what? You come near to God, and then he comes near to you. Now notice this. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Watch this. You double-minded. That word double-minded in the original Greek is suke. This is where we get the term psychology. Ology is the study of, so it's the study of the psyche or the study of the mind. So he's literally saying, you who have two souls, okay? And the problem is, is we haven't come to the place to where we've surrendered our life, so two souls are alive on the inside of us, and so we're ping-ponging back and forth between his, uh, his life and our own selfish ambitions. Again, going back to Jesus in the garden, not my will. He didn't sit there and say, no, I want my will done. No, no, yes, I do want your will. No, I don't. I'm going to do what I want to do. He would have been too sold. Do you see it? He had to come to the place of surrender. Not my will. I'm surrendering to your will, Father. Not, no, why are you doing this to me? I can't believe I got to do this. I've been serving you for three years and got all these disciples. And I can't believe you want me to go to the cross. You don't have the best things in mind for me. You don't have a good life for me. That's how Americans would be. I can't believe it. I've been faithfully serving you and you want me to go to a cross? I can't believe it. You're not a very nice God. Should have served Buddha. I'm joking. I'm, I'm trying to hyperbole right but even he did that what is it he surrendered not my will be done but your will be done here's what happens when he surrendered his will the bible is quite clear on this point an angel from heaven came and strengthened him the problem is is people want supernatural intervention upon their unsurrendered life Just give me the power, pastor. Die. Die to your own self-life. 
He who desires to come after me does what? Denies himself, his own soul life. And then does what? Picks up the cross. Why? Because your soul likes to resurrect itself. I'm alive again. You put it to death the next morning. I'm alive. I'm awake. I just had some coffee. And then you're like, go back. You care. That's why you carry your cross. So it's not an event. It's a process. That means you, you man, I thought you were dead. I'm here. I'm alive again. Woohoo! Here I am. Okay, we got to pick up the cross. And we carry it. Again, Jesus, perfect, no sin nature, had to do it himself. How much more you and I have to live that surrendered life in order to have the power of the life-giving spirit of Christ and kingdom living operational in our life. And everyone says, all right, well, I guess I better end it there. The praise and worship team is up here. Man, I had six more points. No, I can't finish. Can I finish? All right. All right, here we go. Yes. Is it okay? Can we just go a little bit further? I'll jump up some more, okay? In John chapter 11, excuse me, and and, uh, let me say this. Purify your hearts. You are born again in your heart, your spirit. But like Lazarus, you have grave clothes on and need to be set free from the grave clothes that define your identity. You see, when there's a resurrection life, sometimes that which bounds you up is from who you were in your own life. Take off the bandages. That's why the first thing that happens, in fact, it says this. Let me read it to you. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. In your resurrected state, God never intended you to wear dead men's clothing and for that to identify who you are. Because that's your identification in your old man, not in a new creature that you are in Christ Jesus. In fact, we see this, John In chapter 20, verse 6 and 7, we see this with the resurrection of Jesus. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in his place, separate from the linen. That is to say that unlike Lazarus who came forth, with the linen when Jesus came forth and we follow that pattern of resurrection that we don't come up with the strips of linen that identified us in our old man. When Jesus came forth, there was no oldness. That's how we are to live this life. And sometimes in this resurrection power, we're like, no, I want that bandage on. I want that clothed linen on. And we sit there and we want to sit there and clothe ourselves out of those things that were to clothe our old man. Instead of realizing, no, it's actually in a resurrection, we are literally clothed with the glory of God. Did you know you are intended to wear the clothing and the garment of the glory of God? Did you ever take into consideration that in the book of Genesis, when God comes hunting for them, says, where are you at? I was afraid for I was naked. 
the question is, is what were they clothed with before? They were clothed with the glory of God. So when sin entered, shh, that light, they would have looked like the angels of God. You would have been like this, looking at them and like, oh my goodness, they're so brilliant because they were reflecting the image. They were created in God's image. You are created to carry the glory of God. That's the clothing, not bandages. Not loincloths of just, you know, all these things that cover up the frailty of your old man. You are created for the kingdom. And everyone says. You've been listening to the Freedom House podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, FHUS.org. Thanks again for tuning in. And please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.